Hello and welcome. This is Jim. And this is Phil. And uh, today we're going to do something a little bit different. This is one of our midnight video head cleaners, I guess. Um, we're going to be recording a commentary, hopefully, over the next couple of hours for... Wild at Heart. David, David Lynch's Lynch. Wild at Heart. Yes, we've had a little think about it. and This seemed to be a, a, a good film, which we probably both have a lot to jabber on about and might have different opinions on. But uh, should we get it rolling? Yeah, let's do okay. it. Um, yes, uh, so we're sitting here on Sunday morning. And just so you can sync up, we're going to just let you listen to a little bit of it. <laughs> the Lion Roars of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. Actually, I didn't realise there was this much building. But <laughs> Samuel Goldwyn's little emblem there on the screen. You a fan of blue things on screens? Not particularly. <laughs> Not Smurfs. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, it's a film by David Lynch. Yes, Nicholas Cage's name's just appeared on screen. Yeah, we did decide on covering this quite a while back, but since then, Nicolas Cage has cropped up quite a few times on um, on the website and Twitter. I do think that listeners seem to have quite an affection for it. Definitely, yeah. I can understand that affection. Isn't there a popular theory about um, how his hair relates to the quality of his films? I've not heard that. Depending on the kind of wig he's been wearing. <laughs> <laughs> So this came out um, the end of summer 1990, Run the Palm Door. Um, you'd have been pretty young then, because yeah, we've only just recorded a show where we reviewed uh, Dick Tracy from that same summer. So I don't think this was something you popped into the next screening to watch. No, certainly not. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think I would have enjoyed it. <laughs> Whereas, uh, yeah, I was a bit older. This was very exciting that this movie was coming out. Um, I've been a David Lynch fan for most of that year. Um, I know Eraserhead was on very early that year, and um, well, we've got two hours to talk about this, so um, I'll, I'll, I'll ramble good, on already. It's a good time yeah. as any <laughs> over the credits. Um, <clears throat> my parents' bedroom was being redecorated, so they were sleeping in my bedroom. Okay, where's so, this going? <laughs> no, no, it's pretty cool. But it meant I was effectively kind of on the sofa for a few months. So I remember getting home, watching a razor head, and then having this very January, very cold night's sleep on the sofa, which was just perfect for the atmosphere of the film. And huge fan of David Lynch. Um, as a result of that, videotaped a razor head and watched it seriously like two or three times a day for a few weeks I got really into it <laughs> to, the, to the point now I can't really watch it without <laughs> I get a bit twitchy <laughs> it takes me back to uh, wasting time when I should have been re revising for my A-levels <laughs> but uh, we'll get back to some of my David Lynch memories later um, here's the infamous opening which apparently according to Lynch uh, was actually meant to be used towards the end of the movie and then Dwayne Dunham the editor said this doesn't really work we need to put this earlier um, I can't see how it would have worked at the end at all really I mean it really does set up the story well it does but I've not heard that but throughout the film and I'll probably go on about this as it happens um, you get lots of flashbacks to the build up to this scene mm. with um, 
Diane Ladd's character in the toilets and whatever it does seem quite clunky I'm not sure I would I wouldn't mind seeing how that worked um, mm. we've got to say something about um, Nicolas Cage's dress sense here I remember 1990 no one was wearing things like that well they were in Cape Fear <laughs> the plates <laughs> apparently David Lynch was quite a thrash metal fan back at this point yeah was it, is it Powerhouse yeah the, 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 uh, the band because Lost Highway as well had lots of uh, like Rammstein and mm. uh, well Trent Reznor did it didn't he so some kind of affinity for that music I remember my friend Cam saying he went to see this when it came out in uh, Cork in Ireland and the audience was screaming with laughter at this scene <laughs> this guy <laughs> getting his brains bashed out well, it's just another Saturday night in Cork wow <laughs> Had you seen Nicolas Cage in anything else before this? Because you probably would have caught up with it a bit later in the day. Uh, Raising Arizona, maybe, okay. or oh, I'm trying to think. What, oh, uh, Rumblefish. Right. Because again, was this another of these films you saw much earlier than you should have? Because you'd have been about twelve when it came out. Yeah. No, I didn't see this for quite a while. Um, my first Lynch film was Elephant Man, then mm -hmm. Dune. And Cage then, as the Elephant Man might have been interesting. <laughs> wow. Crazy Elephant Man. <laughs> so, whilst we were chatting, we missed the first of several beating you over the head Wizard of Oz references there with the hand going over the, the globe. Does that not work for you, the Wizard of Oz references? No, they're just so... There's no subtlety to them, they're just really in your face. I think that's the point though isn't it really they don't seem to be ref where are they going with it well I think Lynch has said that he just likes the idea that um, Sailor and Lula are the kind of people who believe in that sort of fantasy mm. um, which goes back to the Robin and Blue Velvet well yeah well. quite it's yeah I, I quite like them um, I'm a big fan of the Wizard of Oz anyway so it's nice to see someone like David Lynch putting these uh, <laughs> very popular familiar motifs on in a film like this I've got to say Diane Ladd's great in this film she is awful isn't she I mean in a good way yeah yeah um, <laughs> although I've got to say uh, she's got a, got a career behind her but I don't remember seeing her in anything else mm. I'm sure people know she's um, Laura Dern's real mother but yes she's got a you could imagine her in some Tennessee Williams play couldn't you <laughs> <laughs> she, yeah I, she'd probably Imagine her in Boom, even in. Um, but thank goodness we've got, well. uh, we've got Liz. Yeah. No, um, prior to this, I didn't know Nicolas Cage from anything, so I was watching this without any. Um, when I first saw it, I you know, didn't have any uh, preconceptions about it. <laughs> and as soon as I say that, his snakeskin jacket comes out, which. Um, that reference to Marlon Brando. One Eye Jacks, I think. One Eye Jacks, yeah. yeah. Which Kubrick was meant to direct, apparently. Mm, but, I mean, I've, I've watched this once before um, recording this commentary, 
I'd forgotten all about the snakeskin jacket, but it does look great, doesn't it? Oh yeah. So uh, I'm pretty sure the DVD cover I've got is like a full snakeskin look to it. Full skin jacket. <laughs> a snake's full. Right. Full snake. <laughs> you got me confused now. It's very early in the morning. Do snakes us, have yeah. snakes? I mean, <laughs> I think they have an external fertilization. Yeah, probably that. Um, ah, there's a fire motif. Plenty of that going well, on. Well, the fire motif um, preceded by the close up having sex kind of shot, which happens a lot in this. So, Laura Dern. Um, Last night we watched a documentary from about the time this was released to Jonathan Ross interviewing um, David Lynch and the cast of this film. And you confessed Laura Dern you had a bit of a soft spot for. Yeah, yeah. I think she's got better as she's got older though. I love her in Inland Empire. I think she's great in that. Yeah, because I just found it weird. I, I knew her previously for Blue Velvet and it was weird to go from that all-American girl next door to playing this not a fair fatale but she's a bit more um, wrong side of the tracks isn't she yeah but it's it's funny though because I I don't I don't have a problem at all in fact I see the two characters almost being the same kind of person two sides <laughs> of the same person what is it like Olivia Newton-John at the end of Greece when she gets the um, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> she gets really tight pants yeah <laughs> um, but yeah I, I could I can almost imagine that because I think in the books it's alluded to that um, Lula's character is from a sort of middle class upbringing and she's gone down the road right, as it were rebelling against her parents which I can almost see Sandy might have done perhaps from mm. uh, Blue Velvet but I can see how a lot of people have problems with uh, with her being cast in this role as well but she it works really well for me <clears throat> I'm trying to think, has she done a great deal since? Um, I seem to remember she had a bit of a career after this. Uh, Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. Although, you know, that's not, not to say anything about her acting, but I think the idea with Jurassic Park was he didn't need big names, Spielberg, because the, the dinosaurs were going <laughs> to yeah. draw everyone in. Well, they've got big names. <laughs> so, uh, Sam Neill and Laura Dern. Oh, I like Sam Neill now. He's another one. Possession. See, while we've been chatting, we've already had several scenes like this when it just kind of... It's almost like on cheap TV when they have to have a quick flashback to something that happened weeks earlier, to remind you. Um, Which riles you a little bit. It, it does, it just... Uh, I don't think it's very elegantly done. It sort of takes you out of it. I mean, obviously, this is meant to be quite an artificial kind of world he's creating. Yeah. But... I, don't know, I, I quite like the idea of someone scripting something well enough that it's just thrown into the dialogue and you don't have to then go ah, remember this or this is what we're alluding to well he did write the script in a week yes because um, um, he got the book from his producer Monty Montgomery who was mm. going to direct it himself and then yeah he uh, handed it all over to Lynch um, you were saying in the books about um, Lula um of Barry Gifford's books yes and how many are there roughly because I knew there's another one isn't there there's at least one about Perdita Perdita Durango yeah, yeah. Um, and there's because I've got those I've got Wild at Heart those uh, Perdita Durango and there's a 
sort of three books in one, which mm-hmm. has a couple of Sailor and Lula stories. I, th- I think there's something like 15 or something. Oof. Or at least 15 stories that maybe some of them have yeah, collected. Right. I'm not 100% sure. Though. <clears throat> I, I do like his um, his style of writing. It's it's very different from what you see in the films, really. I mean, yeah, because this feels like it was totally a David Lynch project. And um, mm-hmm. I know you weren't too happy with that other documentary we watched last night. After the Jonathan Ross one, there was another one from the same time. I think it was a BBC Two show called Moving Pictures, but they got a LA film critic called John Powers who as you pointed out it never occurred to me looks exactly like um, Ben Miller from Armstrong and Miller spit double <laughs> with this sort of curly perm <laughs> I think he did make some good points because it's hard to remember that at some uh, autumn 1990 when this came out Lynch was massive you know it was mm. kind of like when Tarantino hit big with um, Pulp Fiction he was a poster boy really yeah, wasn't he but yeah. Have, yeah he was on the cover of every one of those lifestyle magazines like Arena and GQ and stuff and um I, no, I did think he raised some good points, even though he does sound like a monumental ass standing there with his hands in his chinos, yeah. wobbling his head around. But um, one of the main points John Power said was he, he liked this film, but it felt like Lynch falling into mannerisms. And this did feel like, because I so loved Blue Velvet, and this felt like he'd taken a lot of those elements and just tried to take away the plot, <laughs> the plot almost, and just leave them to float around in their own... Mm. The environment and even dragging in people yeah we've been talking all over Harry Dean Stanton here who's who's great Johnny Farragut yeah I mean he always plays Harry Dean Stanton yeah which is kind of a problem I guess because uh, obviously he's meant to be quite a scumbag I guess here he's a private eye kind of you, you, he seems too nice a guy to be carrying out that job you'd imagine someone who's much more weaselly yeah well it's funny because Lynch says that in in his Mind, he wanted him and Sailor to be the only like true, uh, nice mm. sort of male characters with any heart or so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the fact that he has that kind of role or mm. his, his job. Talking of jobs, here we are in the men's room. And this is kind of what I was saying. We've, we've got these flashbacks going on throughout it. Um, so yeah, I was pleased when you said it was originally meant to be at the end and. Mm. that amazing jacket I th- yeah I'm glad he's got the snakeskin jacket for the most of the film because that looks so it looks like something um, do you remember the boy band Colour Me Bad yeah it's the sort of thing they'd wear yeah it's really ill-fitting as well isn't it it is but yeah it's almost like they ran out of material but those black and greys were kind of very much of the 80s I suppose if you had some red piping in there it would be complete <laughs> But uh, Diane Ladd's outfits throughout this are awful as well. They're kind of very much someone who thinks they're quite upmarket, but they're just white trash. Really. Gonna, there's, some, there's something Dolly Parton esque about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and a blonde wig. But um, now this week I watched one of the more recent Woody Allen films, and I think his, I can't remember her name, but his clothes designer are, are great. Uh, you can really sum up the characters just by what they're wearing as soon as they turn up. and. Uh, and in Whatever Works, which is the one with Larry David taking over the main role, uh, Patricia Clarkson is not dissimilar, I guess, to Diane Ladd. She's meant to be a Deep South, um, very Christian kind of mother who comes back to New York and sees her daughter. But she's got very similar things with the puff sleeves with the little <laughs> bows on them and things. Just awful. There's the jacket again. In the foreground. 
the foreskin. And uh, <laughs> I think this next little bit was used in trailers a lot when she's kind of stamping up and down on the mattress with the, with the cotton wool. Yes. Which is good because I think it then merges into the um, powerhouse riff, isn't it? That's I mean, right, these yeah. are great pieces of music. Scene. It's. Uh, think of uh, his accent in this well like I say this is pretty the first thing I'd seen him in and I just assumed he was quite a good actor doing a Elvis impression yeah know? I mean and indeed for quite a chunk of his career that was what he did wasn't he was kind yeah. of boneheaded lovable lunk with his Elvis thing right through um, is it honey, Honeymoon in Vegas the thing where he ends with all the skydiving Elvises or Elvi yeah I think it is Honeymoon which again I think was quite a you know quite a big release when it came out and it's been forgotten now although I'm yeah, not, not going to suggest we uh, do it but the, I think that I'm not sure if that was before or after Leaving Las Vegas Leaving Las Vegas yeah. when he skydives pissed out of his mind <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say I saw that at the pictures Leaving Las Vegas and um, dozed off and I just remember waking up at points when he's fallen through a glass coffee table or something with shards of glass in his back going I'm a book of bang <laughs> Or maybe I dreamt it. Go back to it. <laughs> That's Elizabeth Shue, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's um, very attractive. Yeah. I remember from Cocktail. Actually, I saw her in Piranha the other day. She's in Piranha 3D. You know, really? Alejandro Aja. Um, remake. She still looks very nice now, actually. Another toilet flashback. <laughs> toilet flashback <laughs> and now you've got it's like a flash forward within a flashback it's it's like it's like an episode of Lost <laughs> doesn't know whether it's coming or going no but I like that I like the fragmented I mean the book's like that the narrative's absolutely all over the place mm. um, it tends to work better in literary <laughs> conventions I think Yeah, because thinking about it, it's kind of like Alan Moore does a lot in the comic of Watchmen, where you have single frames that can go backwards or forwards. But I think it works perfectly there. But in a film, it kind of stops things dead a bit. I think takes yeah. me out of it because the characters don't really change physically that much mm. either. So it, it can be quite um, confusing. See, that was a good transition. Some feet. Feet to feet. I do love strobes in films. <laughs> Yes, no, this sure. is an era before you used to get warnings. Yeah. <laughs> He's crawling across the floor. He's trying to do the caterpillar, isn't he? <laughs> oh, word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, He's got to be one of the, the, the crew or something. <laughs> well, then there's so many points in this film and just odd little things like that happen. Yeah, it's, it's positively Lynchian, isn't it? It is. It's like they're trying to do David Lynch. <laughs> I love this guy's hair. Yeah. 
so other than someone having the power to stop a band in mid-flow was this like any clubs you uh, went to when you were growing up uh, not really I'd, by the time I started going out to clubs I was going to club clubs like dancing the night away at raves and stuff mm-hmm. um, even though I grew up lo- loving metal um, yeah. I went to some concerts and that but you a snakeskin hooded top there or? alas no yeah. I love a pair of snakeskin boots though <laughs> No, this um, this feels very much like some of the clubs I was sort of dragged along to when I was younger. I was never into in the them. Midlands. In the Midlands, oh, yeah, it's the, the home of it. Isn't the it? home of metal, yeah. Because <laughs> I was at the same school John Bonham from Led Zeppelin was sort of at, which is not the same time. I'm not quite that old. That but, is a credential, uh, that is. Yeah. <laughs> The fact that well, I suppose the guy had a knife at the beginning, but the fact that he um, Cage's character went so overboard there and wouldn't stop even when he felled the guy. Mm. I remember when I watched this thing. Oh man, this guy's gonna get his brains dashed out yeah. as well. And You're slightly disappointed he didn't. No, I was relieved because oh, right. I remember. <laughs> I think I remember when I did see this on the opening night because me and my friend Nick were such huge David Lynch movie, um, fans at that point. It was packed out. It was at the, I think it was the Triangle or the Midland Arts Centre around Birmingham, um, but it was sold out. We'd already booked tickets, but we ended up having to sit totally separate areas. So it was just indication of how big David Lynch was at that point. Mm. Um, but you no, know, I remember that opening scene with the brains getting, you know, the guy's brains getting beaten out, and just the loudness of the music as well made me feel quite queasy. <laughs> it's like when we were talking about Irreversible the other day. It's yeah. Those, and you could yeah the sound design you could really feel the impact of the guy's head whacking against the cement and the, the brass bar but yeah Lynch was huge that summer and I've already um, spoken about watching a razor head far too many times but were me and Nick were getting very excited about um, Wild at Heart coming out and this again I think it was the Triangle Cinema no it wasn't it was the Midland Arts Centre had um they showed Blue Velvet. Um, they had like a, I think one or two screenings of it, just mm-hmm. to sort of whet people's appetite. And um, we were so excited about this. What we would have been eighteen, and this is embarrassing to admit, but now's the time to do it. We turned up to watch that movie. We drove there and was walking around uh, dressed as David Lynch, <laughs> um, who had that very specific dress sense at the, at the time <laughs> of kind of a suit with um, a shirt done up at the collar with no tie was that we were 18 year old kids so we didn't really have suits we just had to cobble things together from that's fantastic formal clothes and we we were walking there but summer 1990 was incredibly hot so everyone else was in like vests and cut off denims and we must have looked like such assholes (laughs) (laughs) in fact I remember I had suede cowboy boots on as well although that wasn't any reference to this that, yeah. those were my uh, <laughs> those were, were my posh no. <laughs> <laughs> you should have kept me that look you should have kept me that I'm quite partial to having a top button sometimes yeah what it tied in at that because it was yeah David Byrne from Talking Heads was doing it as well I think mm. Bowie has it in Man Who Fell to Earth quite a lot he's yeah. got that sort of Slightly outsiderish look, I guess. Mm. 
Cigarettes play a big role in this film. Yeah. I remember when they I used to smoke. They play a better role than some of the actors. <laughs> when I used to smoke, this film was, oh, it oh, just made to... me want to smoke all the time. <laughs> like Tarantino movies, um, mm -hmm. like Pulp Fiction and uh, <clears throat> Reservoir Dogs, just, they really just make you want to yeah. get a pack. Uh, what are they, what are those cigarette lucky apples is it that uh, Bruce Willis yeah, smokes yeah. or red apple I red apple because there's a carton of them in the famous poster with Uma Thurman isn't there yes but I read uh, I think I told you yesterday I read that apparently <laughs> Laura Dern passed out <laughs> in one scene where she has to smoke four cigarettes at the same time but obviously they were redoing the yeah, scene yeah. a number of times and she uh, she couldn't handle it he's a big smoker himself isn't he yeah uh, David Lee cigarette I, smoker um, yeah I read an interview with him around the time Mulholland Drive came out maybe or mm. even um, what's the guy on his electric lawnmower um, the straight Great story, story. and because he was interviewed in a lot of magazines at the time and he kept coming up with the same thing including this great quote you've got to keep your eye on the donut and not on the hole <laughs> just, <laughs> just about makes sense I kind of get it um but he was making a big point that he'd taken up smoking at a point when everyone else was giving it up and I think probably um, more and more laws were coming in to stop you smoking in public in LA Yeah. and he almost seemed like this was him putting his foot down and saying no I'm gonna you know it's like when people have tattoos and say they're claiming their body back and uh, yeah, sure I'm claiming the death of my lungs <laughs> So we are talking over all of the dialogue which is establishing this great love story at the centre of the film. Uh, does it convince you? You're screwing your face up a bit. Um, as in, uh, I'm screwing up my face because it's a commentary so we've got to talk yeah. anyway. Well, but, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm very convinced by the love. I mean, they had a relationship at this time, didn't they? Um, oh, in real Cage, life? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, but along with, like I mentioned not too long ago on one of the shows with Blue Velvet, uh, Betty Blue mm -hmm. and True Romance. These and Wild at Heart for me. These three films are these almost doomed mm. love stories. So I find them totally captivating and convincing. Uh, maybe because I'm a little shallow and taken in by it all, because it's all very surface kind yeah, of love. Yeah. But even though it is, um, not not totally deep and rooted and obvious. Um, I, I find that. Captivating, yeah. Really. I was gonna have a pop at it, but I guess the thing is, in films, they're usually about someone, uh, the whole film's about two people trying to get together. You know, usually one person loves the other, and the other's ignoring them, and finally they get together. So, there's not a lot you can do dramatically when two people are already really in love at the beginning of the film. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll ease off a bit on it <laughs> just because you can't do anything dramatically when people are actually in love, there's nowhere for it to go. No. They've, they've got to sort of battle yeah, the outside just, forces then yeah. or with like Betty Blue it's the inside forces I suppose but she's crazy in the coconut <laughs> yeah she? she's absolutely bonkers but I do like her because of that <laughs> she called yeah Laura Dern does put herself through quite a lot here doesn't she yeah I mean puts herself through the ring a bit she must have felt reasonably comfortable doing it though because she's gone on to do more work with Lynch later I did hear that um, oh what was she called in Lost Tower Patricia Arquette mm -hmm. um, struggled 
to work with Mitch apparently she found him a bit too demanding but right I don't know what that <laughs> well, in what way or because she was naked a lot in Lost Highway yeah I well I was thinking about watching Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive again um, ahead of this um, I saw them both at the pictures and I think I remember liking not not minding Lost Highway but again it was a lot of these this mannerisms kind of thing it was a lot of him doing the same stuff again it, yeah and we, as we say that we've got the to title sequence from Lost Highway pretty much Mulholland Drive <laughs> that's a big sigh <laughs> well ahead of going there I remember reading it was a pilot for a TV show that never happened and then he came up with this ending and the ending's just nonsensical isn't it I remember it's two tiny people jiggling under a door or something yeah I, I, I mean that's not maybe the last shot but it's sort of there's a few people just... I know who claim to say oh it, it kind of makes sense to them but I, I, it doesn't make sense to me personally mm -hmm. at all but I do that I mean he kind of gets away with it for me anyway is uh, the oneric excuse isn't it really <laughs> But I did, when I watched Lost, um, Mulholland Drive at the cinema, there was a point where a chap went out in front and went to the loo, and he came back and then watched the rest of the film, the film ended, and he just stood yeah. up and went, what the fuck did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> and like, there were loads of people around him laughing, saying, don't worry, you really didn't miss anything too important, but we were all just as confused. There's a great feeling that's evoked in uh, in Mulholland Drive, though I think a real sense of foreboding that was fr carried over from Lost Highway, and I think I said to you the other day that this felt like that quite a pivotal film for Lynch, where he mm. he sort of, as some people have said, that he's lynching himself. <laughs> um, there is a sort of darkness in certain parts of this that I really hadn't felt in the same way. A different kind of um, doom. Yeah, because uh, something I was just going to say. What's this character's name? Oh, um, Him. Is it Johnny something? I can't remember. Harry Dean Stanton? No, no, no. Yeah. The, um, uh, Marcellus. Marcellus. Um, no, no. My... my Santos, isn't it? Santos, yes. Yeah. But it is, um, it's very similar to Marcellus Wallace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, no, I wouldn't be surprised if um, this influenced uh, Tarantino. If mm. it, oh, God, yeah. The old Americana kind of thing. Well, and the true romance. And, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, Which he wrote, didn't he? Tarantino wrote. Yes. Um, yeah on that darkness theme I mean again Blue Velvet it's so great Dennis Hopper's character Frank Booth so celebrated you know, the, the whole story that Hopper said you know don't worry about Frank Booth I am Frank Booth and in this it almost seems like Lynch realises that character worked the just insane villain you know who's incredibly violent and has his own kind of strange coolness to him in his mm. own mind and uh and he seems to have just gone with that because you've got him later on. You've got Willem Dafoe, and then is in Lost Highway. It's Robert Logier, isn't oh, it? Oh yeah, he's with great, his man. road safety manual kind of um, lecture. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that little scene there with Cage clicking his fingers to the yeah. stereo. And here's another one, Mister Reindeer, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, 
I mean, I don't know if all these characters in the book, but you can almost imagine Lynch having done Frank Booth sit down and say, what would be the strangest kind of villain I could come up with? I think he made up Mr. Reindeer for this because he needed a character to, in the book, every, everyone's a lot more disparate. The, mm. the characters aren't as involved with each yeah, other. It seems so. like a little network of uh, Fruit Loops in this. Yeah, so he needed <laughs> Mr. Reindeer to sort of have um, someone who could unify all these different elements that looked like a Gorgon painting for a <laughs> the topped off uh, Polynesian looking girl or maybe she's uh, more Mexican I can pause it if you want to <laughs> that's a way <laughs> he's, yeah. um, he's having yeah, a yeah. turn oh, isn't God, he because <laughs> um, I remember Reindeer doesn't actually do much does he I think he's yeah, tell Santos to send him some silver dollars or something, and then they meet. Um, uh, what's her chops? Isabella. Isabella Rossellini, who is playing Perdita Durango. Yeah, whose look apparently <laughs> was based on Frida Kahlo. Yeah, yeah Mexican with the eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I was watching this a few weeks back, I was going to say Harry Dean Stanton's got an easy paycheck. There are lots of shots like that of just him sitting in a car. <laughs> Which they probably then spiced up with. Um, well, he probably loved that because reading Alex Cox's biography, autobiography recently, he was saying he was a real pain in the ass to work with. Um, what in terms of is he awkward or yeah. is he not good at taking direction? If you see what both, I mean, because I can imagine him very much like that famous stuff of Dennis Hopper in Apocalypse Now when he's too stoned to know what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> and I remember. Um, Harry Dean Stanton turning up on a very early Jonathan Ross show when he used to be on Channel 4 which was quite a sort of free form show at that point I remember Roland Rivron it was filmed on a, a stage at a like a pantomime theatre I think it might have been a Christmas special they were deliberately doing something unusual right um, and I remember Roland Rivron was meant to have come through a trap door in the middle of the stage but got stuck there for the entire show it's all done on purpose but Harry Dean Stanton was just totally baffled by this and, uh, <laughs> the other guests just knew what was going on but Jonathan Ross was trying to interview Harry Dean Stanton who was just like what? And what's this guy doing? and couldn't take his eyes off this guy stuck in, in a trap door in front of him but uh, yeah is that the idea with Harry Dean is not quite with it or um, I, I, that's what I got the stink like, when he's asked to do stuff. He was, yeah, I think he was more of that sort of. You, I'm an I'm an actor. Yeah. You can't talk to me like this. You can't direct me like that. <laughs> but yeah, Cox was pretty resilient. Because so. yeah, I've heard a few stories that Alex Cox isn't perhaps the easiest guy to get on with sometimes. Yeah. He was actually he he when I um, when I graduated from uni he. He was given an honorary degree there, and he gave a talk. It was, it was really quite interesting because he's from. Was the it like one of his movie drama introductions? <laughs> this degree is an honorary one. It's not particularly get, good, but the reason I'm glad I've got it. His delivery was quite similar to that, but his mum was in the front row, and he kept talking about his mum, <laughs> which was quite, it's quite comical. Though. We just had a brief glimpse there of uh, David Patrick Kelly before. Oh yes, who people if, might know from Twin Peaks. As if only I had some little beer bottles on me. Yeah, <laughs> and um, also in the Warriors and in Commander Sally. Yes, I give you love.
Yeah, I, it's funny with the accents because I'm not very up on American accents. I know recently there's been a lot of um, American viewers of True Blood saying how poor the accents are in it, but I'm totally convinced by them not knowing what a true uh, southern accent is or you know the it dialect. just seems an odd thing to pick up on in a show about vampires yeah <laughs> it's totally unrealistic people don't talk that way <laughs> no I suppose it can take you out of it a bit if, uh... such as uh, Alexis <laughs> uh, Canner in uh, Goodbye oh, Gemini yeah. oh no I thought that was one of the best things about it yeah. and talking of one of the best things about it we're about to have an appearance from someone from Goodbye Gemini how fortuitous is that <laughs> here, we here he comes Freddie Jones who because um, he crops up in a few David Lynch's is in Dune and Elephant Man as well I always assumed they had a really great working relationship but recently probably a year ago there was an interview with Freddie and Toby Jones his son and uh, the interviewer I think may have been Francine Stock or Matthew Sweet said oh yeah we've worked with David Lynch what's he like and Freddie Jones didn't seem too thrilled he was like oh he's very you know He's not a great person to give directions. <laughs> he said they were out in New Mexico, whatever, for um, Dune, this project with millions and millions of dollars being spent on it. And at one point, one of the cameramen was gonna have his lunch and he dropped an egg in onto the sand. And because it was so hot, the egg just started frying on the sand. And David Lynch stopped everything and told the, got the camera guys to go over and film this egg frying in the sand for no reason, but he thought it might be a good shot he could use later. And I think Freddie Jones, obviously, as a veteran, just thought, is this any way to make a film? <laughs> <laughs> so another shot of Harry Dean Stanton just driving along. Yeah, easy money, yeah. Yeah, no, I guess he's kind of like uh, Scatman Crowther's in The Shining. He spends the whole film getting to where he's meant to be and then... <laughs> There's a great um, in Kubrick's biography, <laughs> our Kubrick biography I read recently, where apparently they did something like 140 takes. What of the axe? Of um, I think it might be the axe, and like Scatman Crothers broke down crying. He was like, <laughs> "What do I gotta do, Mr. Kubrick? What do I gotta do?" <laughs> I can just picture him. <laughs> I can imagine Kubrick watching Hong Kong Fui all afternoon. Yeah, I need this guy. This is. He was recommended to him. He, uh, he wasn't his first choice. I can't remember who his first choice was, actually. Was it Scatman John? I do love this bit. It's just one of those little things that indicates how off the rails a character is. We just had Diane Ladd sort of drawing lipstick all over her wrists as if she'd slashed them. Oh, and uh, Happy Gilmore's grandmother again. <laughs> She's in Blue Velvet. She's... Isn't she? All oh, right, as uh, yeah, the she's aunt. Is it the aunt? Is she an aunt? I think she's an aunt. Yeah. Yeah. Sinister, live and let die kind of territory. There. Yes. Oh, and there's uh, Grace Zabriskie. Yeah. Um. Who looks horrible? Um. Is she? She's in Twin Peaks, though, isn't she? Yeah, she's Laura's mother. Right. But in this, I, I don't know if she's wearing contact lenses or something, but her eyes just look really... They do anyway. Yeah, they all do right. Sorry, I don't want to mock uh, <laughs> people's physical appearances. She's a quite um, a scary-looking woman in mm. general, I think. But I mean, especially here, she's got the whole bleached wig and... Um, the clamp. Oh. Yeah, the leg brace. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> David Patrick Kelly looks kind of like Geddy Lee from Rush there. 
so the idea is Grace Zabriskie is um, Rossellini's mom in this I'm not actually sure because there there's later there's a kind of framed picture of them together and they've both got the same hair so. right they're kind of like, <laughs> they're the assassins aren't they basically those those three that's very um, evocative of scene with Sherilyn Fenn mm. dancing in Twin Peaks um, I don't know if this is an original song but it's more what you'd expect from Lynch with an Angelo Badalamenti kind of yeah that cool cat kind of although yeah watching this the other day I'd totally forgotten this little scene this scene it's just it doesn't do anything does it oh, I'm not sure is it the sort fun. of thing you tell your girlfriend <laughs> yeah because look at her she's uh, well she seems to be quite Ashford. getting into it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a great role for this actress as well <laughs> yeah. do you think that's actually a cage because you don't see the face of the actor at I all. can't imagine him turning like, down the chance to to grasp the peach. Feed the pony or whatever it is here. Yeah. As, as always, though, I think, you know, that it looks good, though, the lighting and stuff. That reminds me of Dick Tracy, actually, with the green, yeah, with red, the and green blue. Yeah. <laughs> he does make good looking films. I think. And Cage makes a film look good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When did Cage lose it for you, or do you still have a kind of Conair? I really don't like Conair. Really, oh, yeah. I, I love The Rock. Uh... I was so impressed with The Rock. I thought it was great, great fun. And then, yeah, Conair is. It seems the... quite elevated, actually. It's like the 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 sort of really bad action film that everyone's allowed to love. But... Yeah, I know. I've, I've not seen it for a while, but I remember enjoying it. It's got Malkovich is so over the top in it. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, yeah. well, I think when The Rock came out that was the first time was that the first time it was Cage action hero yeah it, it was a bit been. of a surprise because yeah he was usually playing these kind of characters as, um, he called Stanley Goodkiss <laughs> <laughs> that's the, the mask isn't it Stanley oh, Goodkiss or something yeah um, but have you seen Red, Ro Red Rock West the yeah. Jack movie because I remember that almost seemed like oh, we'll go to Nick Cage we need that kind of Wild at heart. <laughs> so, like I say, that first night I saw this uh, in Birmingham, it was sold out. Is this a first date movie? Uh, there must have been a few statistically in there. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. We're saying that because yes, at the moment there's um, that doesn't look much fun. No. Well, not for Laura. <laughs> Oh, maybe it is. He's like got his hand around her neck, like he's like a policeman <laughs> would to a criminal. <laughs> that just reminds me. Um, I won't mention the names. There's a friend of mine who was watching Omen Three on video. This is when she was fairly young, probably thirteen, fourteen. But um, there's the bit in that when um, Sam Neill as Damien is is taking her from behind, and. Um, 
Your friend, or no, 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 no. no. Um, <laughs> yeah. I forgot the actress's name, but um, my friend turned to her mom and went, "Mom, why is he trying to strangle that lady?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, what was the reply? Do you know? I don't know. Because no. <laughs> he's the devil. Yeah. Yeah, I watched uh, Vampire's Kiss recently as part of that alphabet challenge that I did, and um, he's got a very strange accent in that as well. But I suppose in this it makes sense, he's, he's trying to do the, the, whole the southern drawl. Yeah. Ah, Crispin Glover. <laughs> Look at that cockroach on his ass. <laughs> right on his anus. <laughs> his anus. Um, Again, you're wondering what Crispin Glover thought when he was sent the script saying, can you play Cousin Dale, is it? Cousin Dale. But, uh, yeah, the, the documentary we watched, the interview with Lynch last night, there was a whole section about him going off to this diner, Bob's Big Boy Diner, for several years, every day. Nine years. Getting on, um, I think it's bottomless coffee there, and just getting on a sugar dragon, writing out ideas on napkins this scene reminds me of something you probably would draw on a napkin after you've been drinking a lot of coffee um, yeah Crispin Glover who again is meant to be a bit of a prickly character although I'm saying that I think it was I'm mainly saying that because he refused to be in Back to the Future 2 but you know maybe they gave him a bad uh, deal because I think it was only ever going to be a small reprising his role as uh, George McFly mm. I think they had to get find ways to get around that um but yeah, um, he's known as just a Fruit Loop, isn't he? He's always playing this kind of character. Um, more recently in the, the Charlie's Angels movies. Yeah, the remake of Willard. And the, the remake of Willard? You know, oh, the right, rats. yeah, the rats thing. Yeah. And also, he's a director himself. He makes films. I'm pretty sure he's latest. Is it with handicapped people? I think he might have been on Komodo Mayo's show uh, being interviewed not overly peculiar really mm. uh, quite erudite if anything but um, yeah his films sounded quite odd uh, I've not seen any of them obviously well <laughs> have a glove of stock because you know his dad's the guy from Diamonds of Forever the, the gay henchman yes yeah. well it looks spitting yeah. image yeah. yes <laughs> they called those two um, Winton Kid I think is yes it? Mr Winton Mr Kid I do like those guys I don't know <laughs> was he ever up for the role of um, I can say an Oscar for this performance of <laughs> <laughs> uh, Moadib Paul Paul Atreides or would have been Ooh, Crispin young. Glover or? yeah wow. I was wondering because I know Dexter Fletcher was what yeah, because he worked with Lynch on Elephant Man, and he was going to be... Because he'd um, have been very young then, what, was that, 84 or something? 15, I think he was the same age as Moadib in the book, I mean, right. in the books. But obviously... God, got Dexter it. Fletcher. No, <laughs> Can you imagine? Harry Dean back in it. I think that was in the trailer, that little bark. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Great bit of music. 
Thomas ut. Så. <laughs> And if she just like went along with all this, like, oh, he's a visionary, I'll, uh, I'll do what he says. Especially because when I first heard this, people say it only works if you start the videotape at a certain point, one of the heartbeats at the beginning, and you need to have the CD because that was insane. You think, well, they're never going to work. Yeah, they just planned. When that. it was recorded in 1973, <laughs> they're not going to know that. But um, plus, with a record, you have to take <laughs> exactly. takes that go the dungarees just clicking his fingers in quite a stiff manner <laughs> oh, I do like this bit especially one of the voices on the radio sounds like it might be from the world service he sounds a little English or Australian or something. yeah <laughs> quite fun to see something like that on radio where mm. they usually they'd have it on TV wouldn't they yeah. flicking channels yeah. it's just another sort of interesting aspect of Lynch's films where sound <coughs> or kind of narrative is uh, is used audio <laughs> This whole thing with the open top car and um, a lot of the clothes they're wearing, it sort of suggests, even though it's set in the modern times, um, in the modern day, it seems to be set in this kind of weird late 50s, early 60s world. A bit like Blue Velvet. Very much like Blue Velvet, mm. yeah. <coughs> yeah. I've got to give Cage's due. 
That is fantastic. Wow. Yeah. I wonder if he um, broke his back. Improvised that. <laughs> that uh, is bloody impressive. Yeah. <laughs> He's got quite a high kick on him as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's another one of those things when they're not great dancers, but it looks, they look so into it. Yeah. Which I know is what Tarantino did for the um, Jack Rabbit Slim's dance contest. Yeah, he just wanted them to. Although, like, thing. Travolta's not a bad mover. <laughs> yeah, although he's not doing the moves there, is he? It's kind of... he's got, but he's got that, yeah, there's a, there's a mystique about yeah. it, isn't there? <laughs> I do like those. Is it, uh, is it Strauss? This? I don't know for sure. It is great music. Yeah. yeah it's a, again, it's a really varied soundtrack, and even though a lot of it, I'm mainly thinking of those, um, the metal. Mm. Although no, actually, the thing that was really synonymous with this when it came out was the Chris Isaac Wicked, thing, Wicked game. game. Yeah. Which he did, you don't actually hear him singing, do you? I think it's on in the background later on, isn't mm. it? At, um, no, he did the, the music character. This is a great bit, isn't it? Although I think. <laughs> Oh no, it's a little late. I think it's the bit that concludes this scene. But there's that woman who just walks across in front of the camera, and I I did hear he just got her from a local home. <laughs> yes. But yeah, going back to what you were saying about that, um, well, it's not anachronistic because mm. you know it's obviously the present but yeah I do like the way he he did that with Blue Velvet in this um. yeah it, and it's a lot more so with Blue Velvet because it almost feels like um, it's a world of the 50s that's been picked up by a crane and dropped somewhere <laughs> yes and yeah they're an anachronism it's Frank Booth and everybody else it's much closer to the real world but mm -hmm. here I, I guess it's probably echoing Lynch's childhood or at least the way it was represented in films and TV because is it when you see David Lynch interviewed, you can't imagine he was ever going to be the Nicolas Cage character. It's <laughs> possibly mm. living out his fantasies a bit vicariously there. Yeah, perhaps. Although who's going to go and watch a film about a David Lynch character? <laughs> I eat someone like him. Mm. Again, just re uh, recalling some stuff I've read about about Lynch's approach to making this was he was trying to sort of emphasise what was going on at the world at the time because I think very shortly the LA riots ensued, yeah, that would have been didn't they? 91, 92. So it was, you know, there was some tension he felt mm. in the air. So I'm doing his hands, yes. <laughs> hands movements here. Um, yeah, he, you know, even the, the quote, the, mm. the whole world's wild at heart and weird on top. Yeah. <laughs> it's very hard. Here she comes. <laughs> She's kind of um, albino looking, yeah. isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> oh, bless. Ah, there, there we, we go. Okay. You fancy a quick beer? Yeah. Okay, I'll be back in a sec. I do love this song. <laughs> Chris Isaac, who went on to um, star, well, star, he had a role in uh, Lynch's Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me, the next film he made after this, um, which 
got absolutely panned. You know, he went <laughs> he went to Cannes one year and got the Palme d'Or. The next year, he got booed off stage. It was a complete turnaround. But I absolutely love uh, Twin Peaks Firewater. I think it's um, that seems kind of usual with Cannes, isn't it? That it's famous for critics booing things. Because what was that? Was it Antichrist the last thing? And that yeah. was more not the content, but the fact that he dedicates it to was it Chris Tarkovsky? Tarkovsky. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, when he actually won the Palme d'Or for this, there was booze because everyone wanted Serrano de Bergerac to win. So <laughs> <laughs> all the French crowd were like, ooh. <laughs> Cheers. Do you like this song? What I do. Again, around the time this came out, I remember my friend Cam um, bought the soundtrack on vinyl, mm. as was the way. <laughs> yeah, and I played it a lot. And um, my mom, my mom came up at one point and said, "Oh, I really like that one with the plaintiff guitar." <laughs> yeah, <Bad> description. <laughs> yeah, but then the rest of it's um, actually I remember most of the soundtrack being Bad Lamenti kind of rearrangements of Blue Spanish Harlem and things. Mm. It's really nice, really nice tune. I think no I think it's Blue Velvet where a lot of the soundtrack the original soundtrack is a kind of compilation of factory noises and things yeah it is yeah that's sort of yeah it, that was kind of a carryover from um, the Eraserhead Eraser soundtrack because yeah. the well there's very Elephant few Man actual songs in that is just in Eraserhead yeah so there's a lot like of it this is Fat Swaller and yeah. the Lady in the Radiator song Hitting you over the head, Jim, with a broomstick mm -hmm. of uh, subtlety. <laughs> yeah, I'm now getting fascinated by what Diane, because she seems to be carrying the bulk of the weirdness in this film, and you can imagine her just thinking, "Well, my daughter, good reviews for this Blue Velvet film, so I'll go along with this." <laughs> imagine her really thinking, "What is this?" And probably quite weird to watch your daughter having some incredibly intimate sex scenes. <laughs> yes. Oh, you've not seen Stuntman yet, have you? No, yes, I haven't. A no. reference to that. Yeah, there's some sort of faltering in the relationship kind of yeah. Truth. The truth of that. There's gonna be another Twin Peaks star cameo coming up. Is it at this yes it is. I seem to remember it much much later in the film. Yes, yeah, just pure lost highway. <laughs> I can almost hear I'm deranged by Harry Dean's got great clothes here. <laughs> he's looking quite slick. Yeah, he's like a G-man from the 60s. <laughs> he's got huge ears, hasn't he? Wow. Yeah, I've not noticed. Uh, Just the profile, you can they're like really flat against his head. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think his character genuinely loves her, doesn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. Whereas I think she's only ever well, she's around the twist, isn't she? But uh, well, she wants him. Yeah. Out the way. Mm -hmm. Corridors.
Lynch hated all these uh, camera-mounted car scenes that he had to do. He said it took them so long to mount the actual cameras mm. that they often missed days of shooting. So he used to ask to be strapped to the car. and What, he himself? Yeah, and they, would, they wouldn't let him do it because of the insurance, but I think he, he just did it anyway. <laughs> It is a surprise because one of the things that the Tarantino is famous for with Pulp Fiction was deliberately doing that process backdrop when they were driving. Yeah, and you kind of surprised almost. Why didn't you think of this, David? Then it's <laughs> the sort of thing you could imagine he he would have done. this scene's in the book it's kind of a bit of a standout yeah, scene it's not it's not a major scene at all it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's that's one of those things in a book a scene might just pass you by um, whereas once it's rendered with visuals and everything it can really get under your skin Sherilyn mm. Venn mm -hmm. who was uh on a lot of people's walls well a poster of her <laughs> when I was at college Audrey Horn I think was her again, name ah, we're going back to those pleated jeans I was talking about yeah. when we reviewed Paper Mask it's a very specific look she looks a bit like Courtney Cox in Friends yeah, as well yeah. if this were the title sequence to Friends <laughs> I guess I've never really watched much Friends so I always get a bit confused uh, there's a girl at work who often has it on TV one of the four or something yeah and if I'm half watching they have to remind me that is she quite anal um, Courtney Cox's character she is yeah she's yeah. Like, uh, really tight right everything well that's that kind of ties in with this I suppose <laughs> she had a car accident well, this is one of those things um, the fact that she's obviously so concussed and you know she's dying in front of them and she's so concerned about finding the wallet and things and yeah. you're wincing at the because uh, yeah. again it's not actually very visceral is it it's just you no. can't imagine a hole in I'm your head I'm just thinking of Derek in bad taste yeah <laughs> yeah maybe there should be an Oscars category for a best performance of someone with a hole in the back of their head <laughs> But yeah, Sherilyn Fenn went on to make a film with Lynch's daughter, Jennifer Lynch. Oh yes, because yeah, she cropped up on that interview last night, and I've I've not seen either of her films. But that, I mean, I know what the ending of Boxing Helena is. Apparently, that was another one audiences were in, either House of Laughter or Derision. It's, it's a really poor film. I mean, yeah. it, it's just she's just ripping off her dad basically. Mm. Um, I've only seen two of her films. I think she's done three. Mm. Uh, but I do want to see that. I mean, they're they're kind of so bad that you you really do have to watch them. Well, I guess it's one of those things when uh, even though I'm giving this a bit of a kicking, um, you can see he's got a real purity of his vision, um, mm. and sometimes that just works for some people. Like I've still not managed to sit through all of Inland Empire. I will make an effort to to do so but it's one of the when it started I thought I'm really not in the mood for any more of this I, I've seen this film several times before with um, you know other David Lynch films and, you know some people it's really works I know he's got a really still a really enthusiastic following but then you can get something like I've not seen Jennifer Lynch but I can imagine it's using the same thing but just falls flat and it's 
it's got Julian Sands in it as well. Bob well, that's all the indelible signature of genius. <laughs> Have you seen any Warlock? Is yeah, that, is he the Richard E. Grant? We should maybe get a little a Sands on the show at some point. Yeah. Uh, but no, yeah. it's it's kind of like well, if you have really, for want of a better word, surreal comedy, and some of it really works because it's so odd. And other times you're just thinking, this is someone ranting, this mm. is like a drunk down the pub. <laughs> I imagine that can be the same with uh, Jennifer Lynch or any number of people trying to do that David Lynch, because it is, you know, um, we've said many times before, it's a it's a phrase that gets trotted out when someone wants to indicate that a film's a bit off kilter and. Just to illustrate there, here's a scene which just has three kind of elderly men. Although I think this guy's genuinely putting in a bad performance, the guy with the crutches. It feels like he's been told this is what David Lynch films are like and he's sort of doing this very mannered when he reads out the note. Mm. Yeah. some kind of second world war veterans hotel or something isn't it back to watch this a second time at the cinema and all I remember about that was um, it did have a trailer for Reflecting Skin before it came on oh, brilliant, it was a yeah. great movie but at this point I remember having a hacking coughing fit and it, there weren't that many people in the audience at that point it was probably 10 people or something and I was really it was one of those things you're trying not to start coughing but you just can't stop mm. And again, they showed Eraserhead at the pictures uh, at the Triangle Cinema on Aston Campus in Birmingham. And I remember going to see that. I was quite excited. I'd seen it many, many times as we've established. <laughs> seen it on the big screen. But the people who turned up for that was so strange. I remember they were... Oh, it felt like that was the only film they ever watched. <laughs> so you were in good company. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of people who weren't punks but were in these kind of tartan trousers. It seemed like they just gone through a box of various musical youth cultures and things and thrown them together a bit like Wild at Heart yeah <laughs> I hate these kind of suits that Santa suits with these oh, is, it, is that shark skin or yeah shimmery look they look so cheap don't they yeah and uh, it's very much what people would be wearing to weddings in about 1986 I did see a guy walking around in Wood Green the other week with one that was oversized for him as well. <laughs> yeah, did he have spats weird. on as well? No. Yeah. no. <laughs> the hair is marvellous. The way it's it it creates a sort of aura around her. You yeah. know, like the soft focus you get in Star Trek episodes and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I guess it does look like it's from that <laughs> era, sheen. doesn't it? But I'm imagining it's a wig, isn't it? Oh, 
months. I hope so. Yes. <laughs> if not, I'm well. I say I hope so. If not, I'm very impressed that anyone can quaff her in that way. Ah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. This is great music as well. Um, ahead of this movie being released, I remember Starburst magazine. Because wow, this is a year before you can get anything you want off the internet now, I guess. Um, but it's that real thing of, um, oh, we don't know if it will be released. The BBFC are really pushing for cuts, you know. Um, I think winning the Palm Door really helped. But I remember this scene in particular. They said there's one with Harry Dean Stanton that's very nasty, which involves a revolver, masturbation, and a soda bottle. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's not actually here, is it? No, they but, chopped um, it. Yeah. <laughs> is it on a DVD extra or anything? Do you know? Or? It's not available as far as I know. Mm. I think there there was talk uh, when it came out of putting it on a laser disc. Mm. I've not checked the extras on this disc actually. Mm. There might be something on there. Oh well. We could have a look. Have a look later. Yeah. We could scrap the entire commentary and just do a commentary for that. <laughs> yeah. Because it's one of those things when someone dangles that carrot, if you'll pardon the phrase, um, you're thinking, what the hell can that involve? The mind boggles. Kind of a stock, isn't it? These uh, these are roles. Yeah, you can imagine her really going for it, given the chance to play such an over-the-top character. <laughs> but the look on Harry Dean's face, so. yeah, she's a bit like uh, Scott Glenn at the end of Ninth Configuration when the bikers have him. Yeah. <laughs> so is this next line the? Um, mobile phone ringtone you have I've been a bit previous scene isn't mm. it uh, that's my ringtone big tuna big tuna at last so we're moving into the sort of Willem Dafoe chunk of the film you're looking puzzled I'm just wondering is big tuna in uh, Fear and Loathing Ooh, sounds familiar the, the name I don't know it might be one of those things you've seen this film so many times mm. Yeah, um, Willem Dafoe in this uh, as Bobby Peru. I'm a big Dafoe fan anyway, but I think he sort of outdoes himself a little bit here. Yeah, it's whether he outdoes Dennis Hopper. Um, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> nah. And he's so grotesque. I've got to say, because a lot of the other villains have gone about the sort of Rose Gallery thing they've got here. Willem Dafoe's the only one I really think is really great in this the others seem like parodies a bit yeah he's afforded a lot more screen time as well yeah <clears throat> fleshed out somewhat and again does he kind of relate to the um, 
the version in the book? Um, kind of, yeah. Uh, the problem, I think, the problem is when I read the book, I'd seen the film, so yeah, you automatically put yeah, the characters. Yeah. But yeah, Isabella yeah. Rossellini has just turned up, who was David Lynch's girlfriend at the time, wasn't she? I think they were just coming to the end of the relationship, oh, right. actually. But yeah, they were still going out. But I'm not sure how great an actress I think she is. The thing is, she's always playing slightly unhinged. Well, in the Lynch film, she's playing these slightly unhinged characters. Yeah. I think... I've not seen her in a great deal else. She's in the Guy Madden movie. Um, I think she's in My Winnipeg. Possibly. Or one of his. <laughs> but again, you know, a far from I conventional movie. Yeah. That's a film that I need to rewatch. I watched that a, year, a few years ago. Another of many flashbacks and flash forwards. <laughs> Have you seen Perdita Durango, the Alex de Iglesias film? Uh, no, that's Rosie Perez, isn't it? Um, Javier Bardem. Oh right. Um, no, I remember the. I remember it coming out and just. It's probably wrong of me. It could be a good film in its own right, but it just seemed like. I could only imagine the reason for that being made is, as a kind of sequel to this. Yeah, yeah, sorry if there's any extra noise in the background. <laughs> it's my neighbours. Someone smoke alarm going yeah. off. That's probably wild at heart. That's, that's it to the, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, sorry. No, yeah. I've not seen it. And no. the, is, is it a film about smuggling frozen fetuses or something? That's one of the sort right. of plots. It was... I quite like it, but I really like Dillis Iglesias as a director mm. anyway. Um it got mm. written off as a sort of sub Tarantino uh, film because it was a, it came out around that time. But I think it's quite fun. There's a yeah. If you're not a big fan of this, then you might not like it that much. But I, well, like, I like Rosie Perez. Uh, well, it's, it's more the fact you've got Rosie Perez, who just I, I find it very difficult to. Um, she's so squeaky and. In fact, oh, didn't she do a movie with Nick Cage when he wins the lottery or something? Wasn't that Bridget Fonda? Yeah, she, Bridget Fonda was the maid, uh, the waitress. Right. Who he shared the lottery winnings. Oh, he's Perez's actual girlfriend. Actual girlfriend. Right? Yeah. Where Where will that plot go? I wonder. Mm, skydiving. <laughs> <laughs> skydiving. Skydiving onto a glass coffee table. <laughs> I'm a boy, boy. <laughs> Oh, has your phone been on throughout this? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> that could cause all sorts of problems. I haven't noticed any spikes in the uh, wavelength yet. Is it news from France? No. My wife says she's been cleaning up, so it's good to know. Just as we had a scene with Laura Dern's vomit on the floor. <laughs> Can you remember why they go to Big Tuna? No. 
They just I was hoping you would. <laughs> yeah, it's just on the on the move still, I think, mm. aren't they? I think he's a good looking guy Cage um, he's a weird looking chap I think <laughs> he is I mean he's very young here I guess mm. um, I know it's one of those things he's probably got quite a broody mooding, moody quality to him or something which obviously <laughs> doesn't do a lot for me oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah Menagerie of Lynch characters here, including. Oh, he's not quite been oh. wheeled in yet, has he? But uh, the guy with the cowboy hat. I'm mm -hmm. pretty sure he was in Pulp Fiction. I think he's Zed's mate in the shop. Oh right. Maybe. Oh, it does. Because he'd, he'd have a beard in that, wouldn't he? Oh no, it's different. It's someone else. No, I'm confused. I've definitely seen him in something. Oh, that's John Lurie on the on the right. Hmm. Who's in Lowry. No, I mentioned him on the soundtrack show though for his work on Animal Factory. Right. Um, saxophonist with the lounge lizards. <gasps> and here's Jack, Jack Nance. All the razor head. Henry. Um, There's a fish in the percolator. Yeah, I mean, he, he died about 10 or more years ago um, after having a fight in a donut shop. That's right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it was immortalised in a, a song by Frank Black. Mm, of one of his Lynch fans. yeah um, <laughs> but yeah I'm I probably should have looked this up I don't think that Jack Nance's career as an actor went too far did it he was in he was he tend to have cameos in like this in other Lynch films the only other thing I've seen him in though non-Lynch although it's kind of tangentially linked is um, The Hot Spot the Dennis Hopper movie oh right yeah I've not seen that Not a bad movie, actually. Hot spot. I wouldn't mind um, taking a look at that again. Mm. But again, it's just one of those funny little things that means nothing, is it? Mm. <laughs> and that music indicates that three fat women are about to start dancing. But that's that reminds. Isn't the I suppose the whole lynch lynching <laughs> himself but isn't there like an over oversized woman in blue velvet in the apartment yeah I think sitting on the sofa much as we are now um, <laughs> slouched down in a sofa here he is at last the man the green goblin <laughs> actually that guy with a cowboy hat I'm mm. sure he plays like a clerk in a hotel <laughs> in the film but I can't remember which <laughs> I'm glad you're here with me today <laughs> a fount of knowledge yeah I who needs IMDB with you <laughs> oh, but there's so many films with hotel clocks yeah you know, no god you're like the customers we used to get in that shop have you got that book it's called a hundred and one somethings before you die yeah. or a thousand you know the one it's, you know it's got, it's got well, pictures my, on it my wife said you'd have it so again, I think this was the first thing I'd seen Willem Dafoe in. Um, although I didn't, well, platoon. I don't think I'd seen that at, that, at this point. Ah. Um, I certainly haven't seen him as Jesus in uh, Oh, Last Temptation of Christ. Mm. 
I bought that not long ago actually. What last adaptation? Yeah, I haven't watched it. Have you seen it before or? No. Right. No. You've got Harvey Keitel with a perm to look forward to then as as Judith. I think David Bowie's in it. I think he's conscious pilot. Yeah. yeah. That's good enough for me. The Bowie cameos. <laughs> um, his moustache is fantastic here, Willem John Dafoe. Waters very stuff. much like John Waters. And I'm still not sure if though, because Dafoe does have weird teeth, doesn't he? But I'm not sure if they're, they're being not that <laughs> They're just they're, gums here, aren't they? Yeah. It's like they've been ground down his teeth. Yeah. Too. But his smile is all over his face. <laughs> I guess the difference is uh, Dennis Hopper's just violent throughout, isn't he? He's shouting and swearing in here. He's so un- he makes your skin crawl looking at him. There's something with, just with very under minimal, the surface. Yeah, isn't very it? minimal movements, movements from his face, just his smile and the way his eyes dart around. But yeah, having said he looks like John Waters, this whole thing looks kind of like pink flamingos with <laughs> the Christmas tree lights all over these. Uh, <laughs> mobile homes starting to uh, lose some of their uh, sheen aren't they mm. at this point I think one of my neighbours is cooking a big breakfast it's um Quite feeling quite peckish. <laughs> yeah, it needs cracking egg yeah, on the can, sand. Yeah, <laughs> is that William Freaking? <laughs> <laughs> I think that cowboy character, the silent cowboy, though he he sort of pops up in uh, Mulholland Drive. You know, there's a cowboy character who gives right. instructions to Naomi Watts, or is it to Justin? No, to Justin Theroux. You're not getting mixed up with. Um, the big Lebowski or something. <laughs> no. <clears throat> Jim's just gone to get more beer. Always need more beer. Added to the authenticity. Keeps us going. What is it? What's the beer that he uh, favours in Blue Velvet? Is it Pabst? In Blue Velvet? Because um, he hates Heineken. He likes Bud. He? Oh, is no, it or is it Laura Dern's dad? <laughs> Dennis Harper's Heineken. Fuck that shit. <laughs> Rather unpleasant abortion mm. process, though. Which, <laughs> as I've opposed only, to all the nice ones, on well, it. you don't really come across that many in films. But uh, Gaspar Noe's latest *Enter the Void* has um, a very graphic one. I mean, really graphic, and mm. you see the the fetus after. <sighs> Quite unpleasant. Uh, I remember, my wife was very upset when she saw that at the cinema. Understand. I've still not sat through all of Enter the Void. It's about three hours, isn't it? Uh, two and a half. Right. Yeah. Approaching three. Well, it depends which cut you watch, because mm. there's one with the seventh reel removed, which is the one that the UK released. But I have got the full-length one. All right. I saw the full-length one um, in France. 
So uh, Lula's just announced that she's pregnant. Without <laughs> any good uh, potential father. That wasn't something you did when Zeb was uh, announced? No, we just um, had a grammar coke. Yeah. Between you all, each? Yeah, between us. Yeah. Quite funny having that statue of the horse in front. <laughs> yeah, it's so cheesy. <laughs> I wonder if it's really unpleasant though to wear this kind of. Has she got like a leather bra type thing in Whatever this hot it is, weather? It, is, it ain't gonna breathe, is it? No. <laughs> I wonder if she should have had a snakeskin one to compliment there. Sailor's jacket. I know that you've read um, greatest sci-fi movies never made. Yes. And they make mention of David Lynch's Ronnie Rocket making. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which I still think he was keen to do, but it, is it Michael Anderson, the, the, the midget? That's right. Or he's too old to do it now. Yeah. Think, but it was, it was wrapped up with all the DeLaurentis. Mm. Um, oh, it's part stuff. of that deal. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, strange idea about a. Was it a lightning flash that makes people's minds swap places, or was that one saliva bubble or something? That's one saliva bubble. Mm. Yeah, make Ronnie Rocky. Wasn't he run on a nine volt battery, <laughs> a little boy? <laughs> I've always, yeah, I've always been intrigued by that. Um, I suppose he's got oodles of uh, potential. Wow. Well, or um, napkins from Big Boy Dog. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, did you ever see the other TV show he did with Mark Frost on the yeah, air? Yeah. yeah, I really liked that. I know right. you hate it, don't I, you? <laughs> yes. To put it mildly. Um, well, it doesn't occupy too much of my, uh, my waking life. but <laughs> no, Well, again, it came out at that point when I really loved David Lynch and watching it just felt, well, this has got to be good somewhere, hasn't it? And that dawning realisation that actually it was just a lot of random nonsense. It really reminded me of um, strange because it's no way similar. But I don't know. There must be some kind of tone or something. But like the cartoons, yeah, the cartoons that would be shown like rhubarb and custard and mm. that kind of stuff. Just completely irreverent. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. No, no. There's, there's just out. more energy with cartoons when you can tell they were made. Especially rhubarb and custard was mm. like felt tips, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> thrown together. Um, but when you've got a was it a fifty-minute show or something? Yeah, it's like 40 minutes an episode. Oh, man. So, yeah, here's Bobby Peru, probably at his foulest. Um, again, must be a... I remember when this, when I first saw this, not really thinking twice about this scene. And when I was watching it the other week, thinking, this is very uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> so hopefully I've matured a bit in the intervening 20 years. But, yeah, I'm... I don't know, have you ever watched this with Estelle? Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Just... We've, it's all right. Our first film we watched together was Irreversible. So <laughs> wow. It's starting there. You can watch anything after that. And Martyrs was we watched recently, which she absolutely despised. I can't get her to watch uh, Lanteria uh, Inside, the mm. Beatrice album. She refuses. Yeah, she didn't. She she wasn't a big fan of this. <laughs> this scene, sorry. I w- yeah, um, I'd agree with what you said. I mean, it it's not so much that it, it didn't shock me. I th- I think it shocked me when I was younger, but I just laugh it off. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I knew the scene was there to mm. show he was a nasty guy, but it's I was watching it with then no no sense of. Is this really acceptable? Is mm. this... <laughs> because it's almost like you know the straw dogs thing where is she mm. enjoying it? Yeah, you know, yeah. it raises that. And just it is pretty explicit again, isn't it? Yeah. Um, absolutely at peace with himself he's he knows what what he's about and he just doesn't care and wow what so he's he's totally comfortable in his own skin I was going to say because that didn't occur to me it was possibly like the comedian in Watchmen or something he's just yeah. arrived at that he's not necessarily evil he's just arrived at it is what it is oh, nice cars Can you drive? No, I can't. No, I've, I've got bothered, to. Ever bothered learning at all? I had a few lessons years ago and ran out of money, so but I quite enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to. My mate recently just bought a monster truck, so that <laughs> yes, makes me really want to. I really yeah. want to learn to drive. trips around America with mates but you know I've never learnt to drive so I was always in the back selecting the tapes for the uh, stereo that was how long ago it was
subject of Defoe, have you ever seen Speed 2 Cruise Control? Uh, I've never watched the whole thing. I, I find, find it too hard. It's a bit like Under Siege 2. No, I, I mean, I love the original Speed. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, wow, again, Dennis Hopper's the villain in that. I'm not sure if that was a coincidence. Or, uh, <laughs> because I imagine Hollywood has that list of go-to people. But, yeah. um no, Defoe's the villain in that, but very much the same kind of modus operandi. Mm. Um, but I remember, I think he gets blown up in an aeroplane that hits the rigging of the boat in it. Oh my God. <laughs> but, uh, no, he's always worth watching. He's one of those guys. Even in something as awful as the Boondock Saints, the Troy Duffy movie, notorious Troy Duffy movie. Mm. And I think he appears in drag at the end, he's undercover. And didn't we, were we talking about body of evidence recently? Yeah, where he's slick, slick Defoe. Because, yeah, you're used to him playing all these kind of guys. He's like a lawyer or something, yeah. isn't he? <laughs> yeah. I'm imagining something like um, on, uh, Madonna. <laughs> with uh, a broken light bulb in his back, I yeah. think, and <laughs> hot wax all over his nipples. Um, yeah, I'm. Because I did go and see that at the pictures body of evidence, but I'm 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 finding it hard to remember Defoe as Defoe in it. I'm thinking more of William H Macy, <laughs> just this kind of gaunt figure with a huge mouth, yeah. <laughs> like in the cooler. Yeah. <laughs> but he's yeah, he's he's that kind of a. Uh, absolutely frightening archetype <laughs> you sort of in the back of your mind well I do I think these people really exist though don't they <laughs> yeah and the thing like is you that. do <laughs> again going back to when I was younger in, in Redditch there was a guy with a stick who probably did have um, you know a, a limp or something but he used to dress kind of peculiarly and had again a moustache and slick back hair and <laughs> He never interacted with anyone. He'd always be down the club nights and things, but he'd just stand on the peripheries and think, wow, what's his story? Yeah. <laughs> I think if he'd opened his mouth and gone, all right, good, it would have ruined it. But yeah, it's, it's that Paris, Texas thing. Until he actually speaks, anything can happen. Mm. So, uh, Sailor's been convinced to pull off an armed robbery at this point. into this situation well has he um, well I think it's the idea he knows Lula's pregnant and yeah um, no he can just do this one job and short term solution yeah Oh, of course, I totally forgot that actually Bobby Peru's an assassin, isn't he? Mm. He's actually out to kill oh, but yeah. a sailor. I completely forgot. <laughs> Big spoiler there, but well, you wouldn't be listening well, to this if you want spoilers. But I think that goes to show, because we've both seen this several times, but you can you can get caught up in the individual details and scenes rather than the whole the big picture of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's that sort of 
episodic nature that doesn't always work that yeah. well in film. But I guess also, if you see the film enough times, you're not really following the plot, are you? You're waiting for the next scene that you remember. It's funny you do watch films like that, don't mm. you? Yeah, I never really thought about yeah, that. It's the first time you watch it when you're paying real attention to all the dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can, it's kind of paradoxical. You get to know a film so well that you don't actually you don't know, know it. it. Well. <laughs> yeah. It's like I don't know if Blade Runner's ever been a film you've been a big fan of, but I often find myself. I must have seen that quite a few times, but never find myself following the plot, especially. And why is he chasing this guy now? Yeah, yeah. Um. No, definitely. Blade Runner is a film I've always had a not a problem with, but well, its, it's reputation is so great. I think you can watch a film and think it's not that great. No, is it? yeah. I mean, the visuals in it are great, but as I've said many times, I prefer something where I'm really quite engaged with the characters and the plot as well. Ah, talking of which, here's Nicolas Cage in his skimpy briefs, which I wasn't expecting. I always <laughs> thought he was going to be um, Sailor was going to be a man of boxer shorts. Oh, I thought he'd go commander. <laughs> <laughs> Kept his socks on as well. That's not yeah. sexy. No, he's uh, had numerous shots of Perdita's house. Always reminded me of the the house in Evil Dead. <laughs> you know, the in the woods. Oh, I suppose like the lodge in Twin Peaks. Mm. Sorry. Missed reference and um, the cage chest hair. That is, is abundant, isn't it? Like someone's glued a cat to his chest. Oh, my cat! <laughs> I've got a very, very furry black cat. Actual cat. Yes. That's not a euphemism. <laughs> takes um, some abuse from Zeb yeah he does poor thing has Zeb never come a cropper there or does uh... no 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 she's uh, she's very well uh, well tempered oh, there's the big line of the film I think I used that way too many times for my dissertation <laughs> it was pointed out to me anyway <laughs> And what, sorry, I did miss it there. What was actually caused that little ruckus? Um, it, it's not because, as he said, about doing the job. I'm guessing so, because I do remember the next bit she's the lookout, isn't she? Mm. So, um, no, this is we're just proving <coughs> your theory now. <laughs> we don't actually know what's going, going on. on. <laughs> oh, there they are. I love the fact that photo looks so cheap. It's got a very seventies washed out colour to it. Mm. Yeah, 
Antichrist. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So oh God, he goes through the the, uh, the mangler there. <laughs> literally. <laughs> oh wow. Have you seen it yet? No, I mean, is it worth bothering? It looked like everything I heard about it seemed like it was there to be sensational. I wasn't sure it was really worth a couple of hours of my time. Uh, I, I, I'd recommend it. I, I really like it. it look. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Well, if that's the right word. I think visually it's by far the best film he's done so um, yeah. Who is that? Is it Lyndon B. Johnson, maybe? Mm. Mm. Don't quote me on that. So, we're an hour and 40 into the movie now. It's, it's kind of a weird the way the time's gone. Because mm. remember at the 40 minute mark, it seemed like it had gone on for much longer. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah, there's a, I don't think it's just to do with the couple of beers we've had. Nah. things that sticks in my mind just the fact that uh, Defoe's character sits forward with the, the chair um, the seat of his chair sort of cranked forward for ages while Cage just stands around pondering stuff <laughs> you just imagine really Bobby Peru would say what the fuck are you doing yeah. Who does the lookout then? So maybe they weren't. Oh, yeah. They yeah. weren't. <laughs> okay. Maybe it's just the whole baby crisis. Mm. It's music again. I really should have found out what it was before we started talking. It's really beautiful. It's almost like Carmen or something. Mm. I see those tights are back in fashion. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I see quite a lot of girls in um, in East London wearing them. There's white ones as well. All right. Really whorish. <laughs> in the best possible way, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's up to her what she wears. But if you're, <laughs> well, I suppose she's only just pregnant. She's not quite maternity dress um, <laughs> stage at this point. <laughs> to wear these sort of like pros prosthetic teeth and stuff mm. that the actors have yeah you hear a lot of stories about those don't you mm. I can't remember what it was when I think it was Richard Keeler's jaw saying they um, he could only wear them for a minute or something before he had to take them out so all, the, all those shots had to be very very short and a similar thing you know Star Trek the motion picture there's um, Parsis Cambata I think is the actress the shaved head Mm. but she has this little um, light on her throat throughout it but that was like that was very uncomfortable for her it would just heat up immediately <laughs> oh, 
coming towards the end now with the the job is that a heist could you call that a heist if you fancy <laughs> at his most cage there um again this was a kind of a couple of a month or so before it came out but I remember reading a thing in the Sunday Times magazine and getting the readers ready for what's a typical David Lynch moment so this is before this movie had come out but they were describing this scene at the heist and saying you know someone gets their hand blown off and then a dog walks away with it you know fairly typical <laughs> moments from David Lynch and uh well we're probably in that position now it's how much of a movie do you give away for the sake of creating an atmosphere and getting an audience interested mm. good detail into the movie this is kind of the first scene when you're getting quite involved in the plot itself and mm. what will happen next rather than letting that scene just play through and um, happy enough that there's some weird characters in it <laughs> I love the way he shoots or attempts to shoot <laughs> Man, yeah, that's definitely the Green Goblin, isn't it? Yeah. Dummy. <laughs> I just love the uh, the idea they got the tights over their head. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way that's anyone mistake Willem Dafoe. <laughs> I saw his smile. It was this guy with a pencil moustache and horrible teeth. Oh. so much like the um, the babies in a razor head yes the, the sort of fetal things <clears throat> that's uh, great decapitation yeah spermatosa yes I think you can well, still get them, yeah. Mm. But, but I really hate those kind of sweets. They're though. awful. Yeah, like teeth on edge, yeah. Because <laughs> they just fill all the holes in. <laughs> Who's this <teeth>? guy? <laughs> wow. 
amazing outfit and wig from Diane Ladd. Those shoulder pads. Yes. They're like uh, General Zod's. <laughs> <laughs> Mightily impressive. So those Barry Gifford books, I mean, is um, Perdita the main character throughout them, or is? She's that one of those things where they're all, they, they drifted in that. Yeah. He's just created a little world with. Yeah, they're like, I don't know if you've read any of Bret Easton Ellis books, but yeah. he has like lots of overlapping mm -hmm. characters, a similar kind of thing, really. Or um, he, he, I think he was often compared to Kerouac. Um, that kind of speed fueled sort of style right. of writing, but with these wayward characters who. I think they cross over in a few of his books, don't they? Mm. Um, <clears throat> and can you remember if there's any sort of further adventures for Sailor and Lula? Yeah, yeah, they have loads more. Because um, in Wild at Heart, the book, mm. uh, they split up at the end. Yeah. Sailor goes away. I mean, oh, right. this, this was has a sort of happier ending tacked on. Yeah. Which does. That, that, that always felt works. a bit. Yeah. I oh I think it works. Mm. I think it's much more because they're meant to be so in love and that. Why would he just leave? Because Lynch was worried that he'd be a commercial sellout. <laughs> doing that. If you can hear any chattering yes, in the yeah. background, it's the Jervis witnesses across the road. <laughs> Perfect for a David Lynch comment. Who yeah. <laughs> should get him in? <laughs> it's a nice frame. Ah, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> I think uh, what Diane's at the end of it, I don't know. Well, this is that. I can imagine she's just been slumped over that chair for six years. said Lynch was worried he might be a commercial sellout with that ending I mean was mm. it, did that sound like it wasn't his idea then it might have been the producers saying As Sam Goldwyn the other right. night he saw the script because yeah. in the original script he kept it oh, right. up. Yeah. but he didn't want to but he thought I have to mm. keep keep it like yeah. that and uh, Sam Goldwyn said this is ridiculous you know they, mm. they're so in love why would he just leave and um, and yeah he turned Lynch said, "Yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, yeah. Good. I do think that's a good scene when they meet up, and it's clear that just something's died between them in those intervening years, or mm. um, maybe their expectations of each other have built up to something unreasonable while they've been apart. And okay, it doesn't yeah. really work, and, when they, and then yeah, it does feel tacked on. But then I suppose the rest of the movie is so deliberately artificial. Anyway, it doesn't really matter." Uh, no, I'd have been interested to see it if it had that kind of pulled the rug out kind of ending, which yeah. wasn't what you expected. Well, I'm, 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 a, I'm a big softy. 
I've always hated that kid's haircut. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's weird to think he'd be about 25 now or something. <laughs> okay. It's a sort of a, a Cletus haircut, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You wouldn't in inflict that on Zeb, would you? Uh, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> he did have his hair cut in France, actually. He was like a little boy, you know, as opposed to a demon. I presume he didn't get that from the prison. <laughs> So mate, you gotta give this to your little one. <laughs> Strange meeting place as well. Yeah, I mean this set looks a lot like a razor head well not set, um location looks a lot like a razor head, doesn't it, with the industrial <laughs> This is another thing, it keeps cutting back to her when you've forgotten about her and <laughs> for no reason I mean it's almost like he just Lynch needed to go from one scene to the next and then he did an insert in this is getting too heartfelt <laughs> I need some more me in there say there's only a couple of minutes but I think it's a bit longer than you might expect isn't it yeah, we've got the song haven't we yeah in fact not just the song we've got the um, the gang beating as well Stick it You're going to stick it out. <laughs> It'll keep me on my toes. That's quite sad. Yeah. I'm quite touched by it. <laughs> um, well, one of the Lynch movies we've not really discussed much during this commentary is Dune, I suppose. Mm. Which does have a bad reputation, but... Um, yeah, I'd, uh, undeservedly, I think. I I really liked you. Well, I'm just thinking again. It's based on an existing book, although I'm I've not read the Barry Gifford stuff, but I imagine it's much closer to what Lynch was doing anyway. Whereas giving him Frank Herbert, you know, famously Lynch had never heard of him. He thought it was a summer movie called June. He was being asked to do. <laughs> um, no, I. Dune is a mess kind of narrative wise but I think it looks fantastic and, uh, I'm quite, I'd probably say it's his it's probably my favourite of his films if, Right. like I said earlier with a razor head I'd seen it so many times I got really obsessed with it when I first saw it and I think Blue Velvet as well for a long time was my favourite film so I mean I can imagine not seeing through that ever again Right. I think it's a really brilliant movie but that definitely is one where I'm not really following the plot when I watch it <laughs> uh, but Dune I don't know why I 
sort of dip back into it every few years yeah same here I uh, probably watch it once or twice a year and again if I ever read the Dune books which are quite brilliant ideas but not very well written in terms of um, prose and they're pretty dry aren't yes. they? they're pretty Dune like <laughs> um, I'm always thinking of the, the Lynch film you know the look of it or the Bruce Pennington covers yeah <laughs> I think maybe a lot of Lynch fans will um, probably happily diss Dune because he yeah, famously wanted to Alan, Alan Smithy it didn't yeah. he I think he did on one I of the I think he cuts. did for the TV cut yeah yeah um, but yeah, like I say, I mean, it's design wise, it's yeah. unparalleled, I think. Yeah. Certainly, really lavish. Uh, this well, gang. Oh, no, the little guy as well, <laughs> the little stocky guy with his bandana. Uh. Divine um, intervention. Well, yeah, because what's these? What are these guys? Have they got a beef with him for some reason? The motive. Yeah, he's got a snakeskin jacket. Probably. (laughs) And another Twin Peaks. uh, Yes, is Cheryl Lee as Glenda. Or Glenn. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I think this could be a subtle Wizard of Oz reference. Oh yeah, I I, I might be going out on a limb. Like she's borrowed one of her Diane Ladd's dresses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that shimmering effect, although it like is in water. Yes. Just on the. On so the I'm guessing this isn't in the book at all. No. <laughs> so yeah, if Lynch wasn't happy with having a happy ending, you can almost imagine you can work backwards now and think, yeah, maybe he just thought I'm going to put Wizard of Oz in yeah. as much as possible to just make it clear what I think of this ending. <laughs> most impressive hat yeah actually I was thinking it was because Twin Peaks turned up on British TV a bit later than America it already had an impact there mm. so presumably maybe the first series of that had been made before this was filmed yeah he left he left after the first series right went off and did this and had he did was he doing or had he just done that uh, industrial symphony as well right um, performance it's hard to say I mean I know it's on the cards because again there was that autumn when he was really big really hip character and another thing that was on the, that interview we watched last night was his um, comic uh, his newspaper strip that he did for which syndicated oh, the, the angriest dog. dog in the world yeah. <laughs> which was a great idea it was he, he only did one piece of artwork which was four panels and it was that same piece of art used every single week but with different speech balloons and text blocks in Aesthetic nose is fantastic. <laughs> Again, she's still there, damn lad. Finally, yes. She's gone. <laughs> Actually, I saw you'd. Um, you'd link crack.com on your Facebook profile yes had you read that feature on movie villains who were right all along 
Uh, I think I'd, I've just glanced over it. So. I think one of them was the Wicked Witch of the West or whatever in Wizard of Oz. Saying the whole plot of that is Dorothy's house lands on the witch's sister and kills her. Yeah. Dorothy then steals the shoes and throughout Wizard of Oz the Wicked Witch just wants the shoes back. Yeah. It's not like she's going to do anything else. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's only just. Yes. <laughs> through that that strikes me as possibly one of the most expensive things in the film is when he's running across all the cars because it must be quite a bit to hire them and close off a road and although I suspect that road's actually quite a not, road not a lot going on no, next to the, the rail tracks and so there we are um, and Nick, Nick Cage sings both of the mm. songs weird cut there because it's not like it's from a different angle or anything mm. um, but yeah when we reviewed Little Girl Who Lives Down the Lane I remember saying the end of that I liked because it's one of those things you keep watching through the end credits I always quite like it if there's something there to keep you in the cinema um, as opposed to just the yeah credits running upon a black screen yeah was is it because nowadays probably for the last 10 or 20 years you've kind of there's always the fear in the back of your head that there's going to be something after the end credits mm. <laughs> whatever the film is you know um, but yeah I remember watching this uh, the pictures and uh, I, th I think people seem to you could get the vibe of the audience and they seem to have really enjoyed it and like this ending right I don't think there are many people walking off no Although the best of those, I think, it's the same cinema, was when we went to see um, Cook the Thief, His Wife and Her Love for the opening weekend. And that ending, you know, remember the end of that after um, Gang Bomb shot, there's a whole finale with the cannibalism, but then these velvet curtains cut, yes, wish along, and that pounding Michael Nyman music. I remember people walking out of that, and we were behind two, and one just said, oh, I need a point after that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh look, uh, casting assistant is Eric DeRay who played uh, Leo in uh, Twin Peaks. Oh right. And Mary Sweeney, editor, is actually I think they got married, Lynch and Sweeney. Really? Eventually, yeah. Oh, I just little nuggets of uh, knowledge. Lynch info. So I don't think we dried up too much during that commentary. No, no. Well, not. The beers. The beers are flowing, but uh, no, I was concerned we might run out of stuff. Whether anyone's still listening to it after all this time is another matter, but. What the um, fuck are these guys on about? Yeah. No, I think it was a good choice of movie, because uh, yeah, I knew, I know you said a lot of people don't like it, but it's your favourite. Uh, or one of your It's joint with uh, Lost Highway, I think. Yeah. They're, they're my favourite. They're certainly my most watched. Yeah, whereas for me, we've established, I loved A Razor Head and Blue Velvet, and this was a bit oof maybe it's not that great you know mm. Mm. Um, but no I think that um, I, no it was a good comment well <laughs> it's not for us to say I, I think it went well That's, yeah uh, no, I yeah. should okay. try another one one day yes 
And you can, yeah, you can still get the soundtrack, I think, on CD. Yeah. It's worth it. Up in Flames, that's the one with the uh, singer, the, the mm. female. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The blue dress. <laughs> yeah, Strauss. It's Strauss, the music. Oh, it's Penderecki. I think... Um, Not Gregoracki. No, Penderecki was used by uh, Kubrick in... Uh, Shine. Alright then. Okay, well, the Jehovah's Witnesses are kicking up a storm. I'm very hungry now, and I guess you are. I need a loo. Okay. Well, thanks for bearing with us. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, We may do it again sometime. Never know. Okay. Good night. Bye.